Hello everyone then, and welcome to this webinar. I'm Francis Seeley from Global Net 21 and Infill Voices, and this is one of the webinars where we sort of discuss all sorts of issues that affect us locally, nationally, and globally. And today, one of the overwhelming issues, in fact, the most overwhelming issue really, is climate change, because that's going to affect us increasingly as the years go by, and is already affecting us. And so we're going to talk to Zoe Cooper, um, who you see here, and she's going to tell us about her journey into being an activist um, and what led her to that. So Zoe, welcome, you know, for, to, uh, for welcome to being on here today. And maybe you could start by telling us just a little about yourself. Thank you, Francis, and thank you ever so much for inviting me to the webinar. It's really great to be here. Um, so a bit about myself. So I'm, um, I live in Southgate, North London. Um, I'm a mother of three uh, beautiful daughters and I work for a, a marketing and localization um, agency. Um, and I guess I, I, I kind of became a climate activist a, a couple of years ago when I, um, I went to meet a friend um, who was a, a member of Extinction Rebellion and was active on Waterloo Bridge. Uh, I think that was April, 2019. Um, uh, so I went down to Waterloo Bridge with my daughter, really just to sort of catch up with an old friend. And that was a, that was a, a, a very big turning point for me. Um, up to that point, I guess I'd been leading a, a fairly moderate life, lifestyle, um, working full time, looking after my kids. Hadn't really done anything um, on the climate activism front. Had been a bit of a rebel at, at university, but that was sort of the extent of it. Um, and yeah, that that really really changed my life, and I I realised the the extent of global warming, and I felt a bit of an idiot really. I thought I sort of was fairly up on current affairs, and I, I I knew quite a lot of what was going on in the world, and I was really really quite wrong about that. So what what was it exactly that um, you know made you realise that climate change is much more serious? Because I gather you've always been a a sort of activist but you had this experience on Waterloo Bridge what was the actual experience what was it that focused your mind on the dangers well it was a number of different things I think I went to Waterloo Bridge expecting there to be a bit of a sort of a, a festival party atmosphere um, and like I said I'd just gone to catch up with with an old friend and the the atmosphere was was incredible there were lots of people there of, of all ages, all walks of life, um, and who are obviously very passionate about about the climate. And I, I joined an induction session and I, I learned obviously a lot about Extinction Rebellion, but I learned about some of the, the shocking um, global statistics about climate change. And for the first time heard, you know, the, the sixth mass extinction, I had absolutely no idea we could be heading for the sixth mass extinction. Um, that was very shocking, um, shocking, terrifying. Um, I was with my daughter who was sort of 15 at the time and we were both um, sort of looking to each other for 
well, I guess for reassurance that perhaps this wasn't true, but you know, we 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 stayed with the induction. We we did sort of breakout sessions with other people in the induction. We learned more about um, the the kind of ecological crisis, the climate crisis, and we went through lots of emotions. Really, we sort of shock, disbelief, um, fear, uh, sadness, and I think what was really wonderful is that there was there was there was space to go through those emotions even within this very short induction session we were listening but we also felt that we we had a voice we were expressing our you know amazement disbelief concerns there was a, it was a beautiful holding space and all around us there were other talks there were inductions happening there were speeches being made um there was singing and dancing so despite the the sort of very shocking news that we we were hearing there was also a, a celebration of all the sort of the, the the beauty of of humankind as well so it felt like a very felt like a very special space um to the extent that we we spent the whole day there and we were there well into the evening and i went back to the to the the protest sort of day on day and if i was working i would i would go back in the evening and obviously waterloo bridge was not held for the entire duration but then I would, went to, to Marble Arch and pretty much signed up and kind of offered my my services there and there and then because I wanted to learn more but I also wanted to do more and I wanted to be a lot more active than I had been up to that point. So when you you had this experience and, and you oh. realised that there was a real danger ahead and that you wanted to get more involved did that also yeah. make you understand or wonder why other people don't feel that way did it make you wonder you know we're, we're heading for this disaster if we're not careful and people just don't get it I mean did yeah. that affect you? Yeah, I mean that was that was really shocking because I, I I thought that I was a you know relatively informed intelligent human being and I was kind of thinking well I you know I read the newspaper um, I I listen to the news on on television I speak with my friends why didn't I why didn't I know this and if I didn't know this then how many more people don't know this and how can I then I very quickly because I'm kind of a fixer by nature, then very quickly moved into the, okay, so what can what can I do to try and make a difference? Um, because really this this information has to be got out quickly and we need to, you know, we be, need to be as disruptive and as active as possible to make sure that far more people know the extent of the climate and ecological crisis because we're running out of time. Um, so absolutely, I was I was I was shocked and dismayed at how little I knew, but then angry and determined to try and tell as many people as possible after after that point, really. So did you give a lot of thought about what it takes to, you know, awaken people, um, not just about the coming crisis, but the here and now? Did you think how you might go about doing that? Yeah, so I come from a sort of, well, I, I come from a publishing background um, and from publishing, I kind of went into marketing and messaging and, and branding. And the agency I, I work for, um, we work in international marketing. So we're very much about adaptation and looking at a, a brand or a company's kind of key values and core message and adapting that so that that message travels, that message is heard internationally, 
Um, so I'm very interested in in messaging and storytelling. I'm very interested in how to get into the sort of hearts and minds of a target audience. And in in my line of work, I've I've always done that to try and sell a product or a service. Um, and so for me, I was thinking, well, I should really use this experience and this knowledge to try and get this message about you know potential extinction. Um, this message of the, the climate and ec ecological emergency out to as many people as possible. So using my sort of storytelling background and an interest in, in media and messaging, I thought, well, why don't I sort of join, join Extinction Rebellion and try and use those skills to speak to as many people as possible. So actually what, what I'm doing now um, for a, for a while, I was you know, I was involved in in giving the the heading for extinction talk. So I I did the training, and I can now kind of run through the talk, which is you know various lengths depending on who we're speaking with. And I'm actually now working on the next iteration of the talk, which will be version five. And well, I think what I'm bringing to the the team of of editors is this experience, this kind of how to tailor the speech or the talk to the people that we're talking to and how to speak directly so that we can bring everybody on that journey because it is shocking and it is frightening and it is, it's sad, but also I want to empower people. I want people to feel that there is something that they can do. So we need the government to act. We need big businesses, corporates to act, but we can also do, we can do our own actions. We can also you know, we, we should be empowered to, to make a difference ourselves as well. Let's talk, so, let's talk about those in a minute and huh. let's talk about the storytelling as well, because that's, sure. that's really interesting. Um, but before we do, Nicholas yeah. has joined us and he's put a question up and really he's into the area of social care very much. And we know that COVID has affected people who are elderly far worse than anything else. But we know climate change will do that as well, don't we? And getting the message out there to older people as well and younger people yeah. to understand that when they get older, they face it is really important. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, I think one thing that, that COVID has, has shown us is that we can be a much more caring um, society we we can join forces and help to to make sure that everybody around us is getting the food that they need they're getting deliveries made i mean there were so many wonderful local um actions during the the lockdown and i'm sure that there's 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 going to be lots more of initiatives um we you know we need to be supporting our our local food banks for instance so i think for me what that showed us is that we we need we need to look outside of our own little bubble we need to stop thinking about ourselves we need to stop being so greedy and we do need to think about others in our community we do need to start sharing and we do need to be thinking wider we need to think about the bigger picture so i guess in thinking about climate change and and thinking about the big differences that need to happen. For me, it's it's a system change that needs to happen. And social care, I mean, we, we obviously would like a lot more money from the government for, for social care, but we also need to look ourselves at what we're doing for our local community. We need to look to 
supporting our neighbours and the people in our kind of immediate locale instead of just always thinking about ourselves. Um, the other interesting thing when I read up about you, you described yourself as a strategic thinker, a storyteller and a disruptor. Tell us what you, <laughs> yeah, tell us what you mean by disruptor. Well, I think that the most disruptive I've been has probably been with, with Extinction Rebellion. So we, we have blocked roads and we have sat down in the streets and we have been loud and, and disruptive. And in April, I think the disruption was, was very much about, um, you know, getting the public to see and notice and be pissed off. I mean, they were pissed off. We had lots of taxi drivers shouting at us, lots of people telling us to get up, get out of the way. What, what, you know, what were we doing? Um, so the, the the rebellion periods, the very active re periods, then we are disruptive. We we are a pain in the neck, and and people want us to to shut up and and get out of the way. Um, those are probably the the most disruptive in a sort of a, a, a non-violent direct action sort of a way. Uh, after the rebellion, I I was I, I wanted to I, I didn't want to be arrested, so I haven't been arrested, and you don't need to be arrested uh, in order to to join Extinction Rebellion. I'd like to make that clear. But what I did do is I, I put a lot of energy and time into helping to create the arrest support network. So. We have. I have a huge amount of respect for people that want to be arrested. I want to make sure that they go into that, um, and the whole team of us wants to make sure that they go into that decision knowing exactly what they're doing. They're ready. They're ready physically, mentally, practically. Their family and friends know what they're doing, and they know what's going to happen afterwards. They understand <clears throat> the criminal justice system. So maybe that wasn't being disruptive but it was certainly something that I put a lot of time into helping to set up that network of support for people who are thinking about being arrested getting arrested we had a whole network of people outside the police stations ready to meet them to make sure they were okay to find out exactly you know where they were going next so that we could then keep up with them and make sure that they had the support they needed um so kind of indirect disruption i guess yeah. you could call that yeah, yeah but it is but i mean are you, do, do you think that social change needs disruption that if you go on business as usual and go step by step then it doesn't happen in time and this needs quick action yeah so definitely yeah you think disruption is important in that sense yeah so i think in april disruption in april 2019 we needed to we we it needed to be a public disruption so everybody we we brought london to a standstill for nearly two weeks and that had to happen in in, in my opinion that was exactly the right thing to do i think now my my personal feeling is that the public has been disruptive i think that um there is a, a much greater awareness of the climate emergency and ecological emergency. And now I think I would like to be less disruptive towards the general public and much more disruptive to government and big businesses. I think this is where the main disruption needs to happen because that's where the biggest change has to happen and that's where the biggest change can happen. So that's where my disruption would, would be focused on local government, on local councils and also on central government. 
But the other thing that you do when you started telling us about that earlier is storytelling. I guess you're you're in marketing and storytelling is a part of what you do. But there are a lot of articles being written now that say storytelling about people who've been through climate change is pretty important in getting people to understand what the situation is. Um, So, you know, um, how your story has become really the story of we're heading for extinction, yeah? Yeah. Um, But before we go into that, how important do you think storytelling is? I think it's really crucial. Um, I think it's, I mean, we we, we respond, human beings respond really well to stories. Um, But climate change, the climate emergency isn't something that we've experienced before. So it's, it's something new. We, it's not an immediate threat. It's not something that we can see um, or, or feel or touch in a particularly direct way. So I feel like the, the best way to talk about it is to talk about different people's experiences. Um, and I think that stories and bringing personality and journeys and heroes and beginning and middle and end, that is the way to try and bring story to bring the climate crisis closer to people and for people to kind of get a a sense of 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 what it is um i mean one small example of i'm not sure if you would call it storytelling but one example of something that i did fairly recently is it's a silly thing i had um one of those brown plastic tubs for for putting my food waste in that gets picked up by by um by the bin men every week which is is brilliant and it broke the lid came off so Instead of writing to the council and asking for a new one, I thought, well, I I would use a local app and I'd see if anyone had one that they could give to me. Maybe they weren't using it. Perhaps they'd got a couple of them. Um, So I put my my I posted my request. Does anyone have a a, a spare food recycle food bin? Um, And lots of people said, oh, you need to write to the council. Oh, it takes ages. The council's really slow. I've been writing to them for months. And I said, no, no, actually, I, I don't really want a new one. I've already got this piece of plastic sitting in my garden. I don't want a new one. I was just wondering if anyone had a spare one. And actually, someone did have a spare one, which she she kindly uh, left out for me. And I you know, picked it up and thanked her very much. And then what I've done with my old one is I've put some holes in the bottom of it and I'm now growing plants out of it. Um, and since I've done that, I've mentioned this to a few people and they've said, oh, that's a really great idea. I've got a couple of spare you know, bins I'm not using. I'm going to do exactly the same thing. And so on a very small scale, that's one small personal story, which is suggesting that, that reusing and sharing things is actually quite a good way forward. You don't necessarily have to rush out and get something new. You don't necessarily have to, you know, complain to the council about something. So so you can change things on a personal level, but your big story is about extinction, isn't it? And and Nicholas again is saying it's a big question, but I mean he's saying if you travel to Asia and Africa, you can see the impact for climate change now. We're not talking about extinction in the future, talking maybe about extinction now or in a few years time. Yeah. Um, So Tell us about your story about, I mean, very briefly, I know you could go on for a long time, but we've only got a little time and a few more questions, but tell us briefly what your story is about extinction. Um, well, <laughs> where do I start? I mean, we, we're looking at, at um, 
we're looking at global temperatures rising. We're looking at mass um, industrial farming. We're looking at not only um, a climate emergency with increasing temperatures. We're looking at an e ecological emergency. So we're we're in the global north, as I said before. We're, we're probably not experiencing this as much as in the global south where we're already looking at rising sea levels we're looking at countries whole cities being underwater we're looking at also extreme droughts and famines um so i feel a bit emotional actually when i start talking about this i think it's it's challenging isn't it because for me, we're not experiencing it very much in this country, but we're seeing mass migration already from people in, in, in cities and in countries who, who are experiencing climate change. Um, my daughter at the moment is, is um, volunteering in a refugee camp in Samos where they're, you know, they're pushing boats away because people are you know, looking for, for, for a better quality of life, looking for, for places of refuge and, and are being turned away. My feeling is this is just going to, to escalate. If, if we can't stop global warming, and at the moment on the trajectory that we're on, we're not going to stop it. We're going to see the global south suffering more and more. We're going to see mass migration. We're, we're looking at famines and, and wars. So we're, we're looking at losing large large pieces of the population year on year and we're ultimately looking at a mass extinction unless we can take some very drastic action right now um, and it's really it's it's the wealthy countries in in the global north that have to to take immediate action as we are largely responsible for for the climate change people don't realize do they that for example by well, by the end of the century, but many people argue before, 150 million people are going to be displaced from their homes, they're going to move. And in yeah. the UK alone, because of flooding, 5 million people be, will be displaced uh, and have to move. Now, people don't understand that. Now, how do you get that story across? Because everybody is into the short term. Politicians are into the short yeah. term. They think every five years. How do you get them to realise that we've got to you know, concertina in the long term and the short term? Politicians, I think it's very difficult, isn't it? But I mean, the bottom line is, you can be as, as short term as you like, but we're talking about the, the future of this planet, you know, well, we're talking about the future of the human species. I mean, the planet will survive. It's, it's are we actually going, are we going to make it? And at this rate, we're, we're absolutely not. So I feel like, Although I'm, I'm all about individuals doing their bit to, to try and save the planet, collectively we need to put pressure on our government to, to actually do something about this, to look at the Climate and Ecological Emergency Bill, to pass that bill and to, to, to bring the 2008 Climate Act up to date. So, so you know, you, you say we have to lobby government and that, yes. that's fine, yep. but... How do we get the message out to the general public, people who want their their holidays and islands, people who want to eat, drink and be merry? Because that's the way our culture is. That's the way we've been brought up. And we yeah. have to think of culture change. Do you think COVID-19 has helped to make people realise that a culture change is necessary in the future? Um, yes, but not enough. I think it has to an extent. I think it's taught us that we need to sort of look out beyond ourselves. But unfortunately, I think that any any kind of um, 
carbon emissions reductions during COVID um, are, are going to be extremely short lived. Um, I mean, it, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, I think it's about going and talking to people. So it's going to into into schools and colleges. It's going into places of work. It's going into sort of networking groups. It's trying to talk to as many different people as possible about both the risks of carrying on as we are now, but also the advantages that are there if we don't. So it's not all bad. It's not all about we can't eat, drink and be merry. We can, but it's about showing people a different lifestyle, a lifestyle that's perhaps a bit more inclusive, a bit more caring. It's not so much about me, 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 which doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. So for me, I think it's about it's kind of carrot and stick. So it's, here are some alternative ways to live your life. So how about driving less? How about cycling more? How about not buying fast fashion? How about reducing the amount of meat that you eat? How about embracing um, um, how about embracing working from home? Although actually, to be honest, most people are doing that now. So there are lots of lots of things that you can do which don't necessarily have to be really punitive. They're not necessarily a, a, a bad thing. So if you show people some alternatives, but also show them the effect that if they, the effect on the, the planet and really on our future, if they don't actually make some of those changes to their lives. So I think it's, 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 getting, the, it's getting the balance. I mean, that, that balance, I think, is important because if you tell people there is a balance, it's not all disruption. It's also yeah. doing things individually. They are more likely to come on board. Now, I know you're interested in NCAF, the Info Climate Action Forum, and we've got, you know, around 90 members now of that from civil society. And that's a huge resource of talented people and informed people who could tell their story. Yep. How important is it, do you think, we should get into storytelling? Storytelling about alternative ways of doing things, like you just said, and stories about people who are badly affected globally, um, and even here because of uh, extreme weather conditions. Do you think it's important that we start beginning to tell those stories? Um, yes, definitely. And in my experience, when I've given the Heading for Extinction talk, the stories about people outside the UK are listened to sympathetically, but the stories about people in the UK and the more local you can tell the story, the better. So I can talk about and have shown pictures of London with various sort of levels of, of, of sea rise. And those are shocking. So we can look at sort of projections of what the Thames might look like in sort of 10, 15, 20 years time. Those are the kind of stories and the kind of visuals that have a lot more impact. So, I mean, someone said to me, I don't know, a few months ago, oh, I'm sick of looking at sort of skeletal polar bears on, on melting ice caps. So that it's almost like we've become a bit hardened to that, sadly. We're not really even seeing or hearing it. And ironically, after 2019, I feel like there was a lot more awareness of the climate emergency. And you do hear about it being spoken. You, it is spoken about on the, on the news quite a lot more. But in, a, in some ways, we've almost become a bit deaf to it. It's almost like, well, I hear it quite a lot on the radio. Therefore, somebody, somebody somewhere must be doing something about it. So what I'd like to say is that actually not enough is being done about it. And here are some local stories by of people who are making a difference. But here are some local stories of some of the difficulties that people are having 
because of the climate emergency. So I think the more local, um, the, the better and the more impactful the stories will be. And is, is it only necessary to do that or can you sort of relate it to what's happening globally as well so that they understand we're all in this together? Yeah, I think it has to be related to to globally because you're right, we are all in this together um, and we don't want to, yeah, we, we, we can't look at it in isolation. However, in my experience, we if we start broad and we look at the local picture, um, for example, you know, when the fires were raging in Australia, it was, you know, important for a heading for extinction talk to to dwell on that and and that was that was impactful but again i think you we can start broad obviously the the it's a it's a global problem it's a global phenomenon but then we also need to bring it back to what's happening what's potentially going to happen to the uk and what we need to be doing i think it's also important to understand that a lot of this started with the industrial revolution it started with us we are you know largely responsible for this climate and ecological emergency so we have to start to act faster and tell the truth because the impact will be felt globally and we really are in a position to make those big changes and you know you're a marketeer your profession is marketing how do we get the message out how do we disseminate it what's your advice on that well, I think I'd probably just go back to my kind of marketing, um, my marketing principles. So I would think about who who we're talking to, who is the audience. So are we going into a school? Are we going into a college? Are we going into a, 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 an ad agency? Are we going into a private members club? Who are we talking to? What is actually going to get them to sit up and listen? So let's let's give them that information. Is it is are we going to scare them, shock them? What are we going to do to make them listen? And then what kind of solutions can we give them so that they feel like they they can actually start to make a difference? So I would I would do that. I do my research. I'd figure out who we're talking to. I'd have a look at the 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 content or the talk or the the information that we want to give. I'd tailor it for that audience and then I'd give them some action points because what do we want them to do at the end of the talk do we want them to um we want them to be on our side we want them to go home and we want them to have a chat with their their family with their loved ones we ideally want them to go into their workplace and make some make some changes there so i guess i would look at what i want to achieve figure out who the audience is and then tailor that message that talk uh that interview if it's an interview to get the results that that we need that will ultimately help to save the planet and is it important not to keep frightening people but to give them hope and to give them purpose uh, <laughs> yes i think so i think now people are mainly aware or certainly more aware than they were a year ago. So there's no point scaring people because if it's so doom and gloom, then people are like, well, you know, what can I do? I'm just going to carry on because it's the easiest thing to do. If we're all doomed, then, you know, what can I do? So there needs to be a message of hope, but there also needs to be a realistic message that we really need to, you know, get a move on and make some big changes now. It's not a case of, um, you know, tiny changes on an individual level. It's really about putting pressure on government to make some 
to make some big changes. If anybody wanted, I mean, we've come to the end of the interview now, but if anyone wants to get in touch with you and find out more, how would they make contact? Um, they can drop me an email if they would like to. Um, I can leave my email address um, at the end of this, at the end of the webinar, if that would be helpful. Um, that's probably the best way to get in touch. Anyhow, I mean, I think it's a really interesting interview because you talked about your journey, and clearly in that journey you become incredibly committed um, to what you do, and you've got a lot of really good ideas, which I would think I, I think will make other people think about what they can do. So, you know, thank you for joining us, Zoe, and it's been, uh, you know, a pleasure to have you and to listen to what you had to say. So, we'll end this interview now. <laughs>